when you think about applying for a practice loan, do you think about speed and simplicity? Likely not. For many veterinarians, applying for business loans can be a long and fatiguing process. Luckily, the sponsor of the podcast, Provide Inc., has changed all that. Provide is a specialty lender to the veterinary industry. They're the only, and I mean only, fully online and digital lender in the veterinary space, which makes life easy. You know I go on and on, and I'm so pro-practice ownership. I cannot be happier to have Provide be a sponsor. Whether you're in Maine or California, Provide can help. They aren't going to require you to open your savings account or jump through some hoops to get some sort of relationship discount on your loan. They're simply just going to say, here's our rate, this is the process, and we're going to do a good job. Provide uses innovative software and technology coupled with excellent service and an industry experience to deliver something that's just more efficient. Even on very complicated transactions, Provide can make a decision on whether they're going to lend in a mere five to seven business days. As we all know, time is money and having those answers quickly matters. Provide offers financing for practice acquisitions, buy-ins or buy-outs, commercial real estate, refinancing, practice remodels, all that stuff. Anything that you have around financing for your veterinary clinic and your business, they can help you with. So when you think about it, you can pre-qualify in minutes with no effect on your credit score. That's a benefit as well. For more information, head over to the veterinariansuccesspodcast.com, scroll all the way to the bottom. You'll see a hyperlink under the Provide bio. That'll get you directly to where you can pre-qualify. You can do it on your couch. You can do it in 10 minutes or less. And if you do want to reach out directly to them, please let them know that I sent you. They'll take great care of you and they will be alongside you for one of the biggest purchases of your life and do a great job at it. Now let's get to the show. Welcome to the Veterinary Success Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Douglas. Today I'm joined by Raul Chajid, who heads up the Matthews Real Estate Healthcare Division. Raul and his team work all over the country and I've worked with many different clientele types, including private REITs, which is real estate investment trusts, developers, private equity companies, physician groups, single and multi-unit operators, as well as high net worth individuals. We'll get into this a little bit more as we get into the interview. I wanted to talk about kind of what Royal does. So single tenant, multi-tenant acquisition, sell, lease back, advisory, portfolio lease, restructuring, tenant expansion, and some other fun stuff. But Royal, thank you so much for uh, joining me today. Hey, thanks for having me, Isaiah. Appreciate it. So we're going to have this conversation. We've had some folks come on and talk about real estate prior, but more or less how to get into real estate initially, maybe as an owner or thinking about leases or different things. We're going to take this a little bit different of a direction as far as if you are currently an owner in real estate, like how to maximize that, how to think about your options. And so what I wanted to kind of start with was, can you give us a high level overview of what kind of the real estate world looks like in veterinary medicine and what you've seen since you do work kind of all over the country? Yeah, absolutely. The real estate space in the vet market is is expanding like crazy. If you take a look at it even three to five years ago, not that many of these aggregators were going out and buying up practices left and right. You have so much private equity or just money chasing these vet operations and partnering up with these operators and pretty much just going on shopping sprees. Every owner I speak with these days is selling their practice at a great multiple and signing a long-term lease with one of these multi-unit operators. And what ends up happening is these veterinarians, they just own their building as a place to operate out of originally when they started their practice. And what ends up happening is when these companies come in and buy up their practice and sign a long-term lease with them, well, now what was just once a building that housed your operations now is considered an income-producing property. It's an investment property. And that significantly raises the value of the real estate. 
And so fortunately, you're in such a strong market, arguably the best we've ever seen in terms of a interest rate market, net lease market, where owners are getting to participate in what I call one-two punch. You sell the practice at a great multiple, and now you're sitting on a property that's on a fresh five-year, seven-year, 10-year lease, lease to an operator like VCA, VetCore, SVP, BRP, whoever it is, innovative. And it just jumps in value. And it gives us the opportunity to say, hey, look, your building is pretty much at its peak value. Why don't you go ahead and explore the sale? And so what we do is we contact these veterinarians all over the country and say, hey, look, this is what we've been doing. We sell more real estate than any group in the country, probably working on 40 to 50 right now. Well, this is what the value looks like. And then we just walk them through, all right, what are your long-term plans look like? Do you want to just sit on this? Do you feel like collecting cash over the next 10 to 15 years? Or do you feel like it might make more sense to go ahead and sell the property today at its peak price? And what we've been finding is as a result of just our specialization in the space, that coupled with just the fundamentals of the market right now and the activity like I just described, it's been a great opportunity for both us and veterinarians to sell these deals at really great prices. So that's for people who sell directly to a vet operator. And there's some people that want to stay private, or maybe they're not ready to sell to you know, an SVP or a pathway. And they say, hey, look, maybe I want to do it in three years or five years. And what's happened as a result of just these aggregators coming out here and buying up these practices and us creating this net lease vet market, well, now there's a market for just vet deals on its own. And so what people say is, hey, look, I don't want to sell to an operator right now. I'd rather just go ahead and sell the real estate, sign a long-term lease to myself, which is called a sale lease back. And now that way I could take all of my money out of the building and put it back in my practice, use it to maybe build a new location, reinvest in my business, right? And maybe three, five years down the line, if someone wants to come in and buy the practice, I could go ahead and assign the lease to them. But at least today as an entrepreneur or a practice owner, because everyone, I mean, by trade, they're veterinarians, but if they own their own practice, they're also a business owner. They're an entrepreneur. and so. Many times you see a great use for the money today. And so they'll structure a sale lease back. And that's another avenue you could go down if you aren't selling to one of these big guys. You say, okay, well, I'll just structure a sale lease back and I'll take the capital today. I have a good use for it and just sign a lease with that new buyer. And the multiples on that look great. I mean, you're looking at anywhere from a, depending on the rent you sign and the location of the property and how the practice is doing, anywhere from an 11 multiple on your rent all the way to 17, 18. So it's been very lucrative. and. We've been excited to be able to work with so many people and just ride this wave and kind of create the market. I love that. There's a lot to unpack there. I think one of the key things that trips people up, can you explain what a multiple is and just kind of trying to walk through an example? Because I think that's helpful in most owners that are getting closer to a sale probably understand that. But I think for people that maybe haven't explored or talked to a consolidator yet, when they hear multiple, they're like, what does that mean exactly? And it's not hard math, but I think it's helpful to kind of unpack that a little bit. Yeah. I mean, so typically business valuations are determined by taking a look at how the practice operations are doing. And most of these companies, what they say is, hey, look, let's take a look at the financial performance over the last three years. Let's see how their net income numbers were. And let's see what their EBITDA numbers were. EBITDA is earning before interest taxes, depreciation, and amortization. And what that allows these buyers to do is really assess the operating proficiency of a clinic or of a business. Because if you think about it, right, like depreciation, amortization, those aren't operating expenses, right? Those don't give you a clear idea as to what the operating expenses of a business, which is what really matters when you're underwriting the operations. And so what typically the practice is, and companies look at a variety of different metrics, but the main one is, hey, what is the EBITDA 
And then based off of what the EBITDA is, they'll pay a multiple. So whether it's a six multiple, eight multiple, 10 multiple, obviously the multiple is going to depend on how great the site's doing, how many doctors there are, what the location looks like, what the future growth is. There's a variety of things, right? But that's essentially what they do. So they say, okay, well, let's say the EBITDA is $2 million. I'm just using random numbers here, right? A six times multiple. Okay, well, they're paying $12 million for the practice. And what we find is it's much easier to speak with owners about the price of their real estate when talking multiples, just because they recently just went through that same scenario, right? That same practice. And typically in commercial real estate, actually, how you determine what pricing looks like for a deal is you assign a cap rate to a deal. And so you say, look, a cap rate, by the way, is a rate of return, a capitalization rate. What is the rate of return I'm getting on my investment? If I put a million dollars into a building and that building is netting me $100,000 every year, I'm receiving a 10% return. So just generally speaking, right, rule of thumb, higher the cap rate, the riskier an asset, and therefore the lower the price an investor is willing to pay and a higher return they're wanting to receive um, on an investment. Higher the cap rate, lower the price, lower the cap rate, right? Safer asset, higher the price. And essentially what that is, is just a rent multiple flipped on its head. So for example, if you're receiving a 10 cap, you're receiving a 10 multiple on your rent. So if a building is paying 100,000 rent, what I'm saying is, look, you could get a, let's just say a 15 multiple on your building, and that's $1.5 million for your building. So it's just an easier way to explain cap rate to owners when you're talking about real estate with veterinarians. The other thing you mentioned, and I love the term when we chatted initially, was the idea of a fresh lease. Maybe explain why that's important if you did just sell your clinic or hospital and what that fresh lease does and why it's important. Yeah. And so that's a great question. And it's so important to convey to these veterinarians when you speak with them. Because a lot of times, veterinarians don't know the gold mine that they're sitting on. Because as I mentioned earlier on the recording here, it's just a building that housed their operations. Now it's an income-producing property. And so it's important to understand the mechanics and the fundamentals of a net-leased asset. So what is a net-leased asset? A net-leased asset is an asset or a building that is leased to a tenant on a net-leased basis. And so typically what that is, or a different way to call that is a triple net lease, right? Where the tenant pays your rent, plus covers all the taxes, insurance, and maintenance expenses that are associated with that building. That's a triple net lease. And so a triple net lease is unique. It's not a multifamily deal. It's not a land deal. It's not a hotel deal. So much of the value is directly tied to who the lessee is and how long of a lease term is remaining on the facility, right? Or remaining on a term. So generally speaking, the way net lease works is the longer the lease term that a tenant is on, the safer an investment, right? The lower the cap rate an investor is willing to pay, therefore the higher the price an investor is willing to pay. And let me just back up real quick just to explain how cap rates work. I did mention higher cap rate, lower price, vice versa. But really what a cap rate is, is it's a reflection of risk. And the benchmark we use essentially to determine the risk is we take a look at the US 10-year treasury. In the US 10-year treasury, if you put your money into the US 10-year treasury, I mean, there's a 100% chance you're going to get paid back. It's the safest investment vehicle in the world. And based on where the US 10-year treasury is, that's how cap rates follow suit. So you're in a very special marketplace right now where interest rates are at all-time lows. I mean, the 10-year treasury, I think, is just above one right now. And we've only seen rates like this over the last three to five years. And whenever interest rates are this low, cap rates obviously are correlated. So when they're low, cap rates are generally lower. And as they rise, cap rates tend to rise. And so now fast forward to what we're talking about, how you determine value and what is a fresh lease and 
how to make sure you're getting the most value for your building. Well, there's a couple things. The one-two punch I was talking about is you got a fresh 10-year lease or a fresh long-term lease, and you're also in the best interest rate market possible to be a seller for net lease real estate. So those things couple together give owners an enormous opportunity to be able to sell the building for much more than they thought it was ever worth most of the time. And so the higher the rent, the longer the lease term, the more the building is worth. If you have five years remaining on a lease versus 10 years, well, an investor is going to determine that five-year lease as being riskier than a 10-year guaranteed lease. Why? Because, well, you're only getting five years of term from SVP, let's say, versus 10 years of term from SVP. Well, you're obviously going to pay more for that 10-year deal or be willing to accept a lower return because you feel it is safer that they've signed up for 10 years versus five. Can you, I guess, share a little bit around, so if I do sell it to a private practice owner, do they view that as riskier as well versus the VCA, knowing that their pocketbooks maybe are a little bit deeper than a a private practice owner that, hey, they have a great reputation, they might be a, a great clinician, but that's only one individual versus that corporation? Yeah, that's a great question, right? So that falls into the risk profile, right? When you're doing a risk assessment and determining the cap rate, you look at a variety of these things, the lease term, obviously the interest rate, but the lease term, the location of the facility, how is the rent? Is the rent way higher than market? God forbid, if they ever left, would you be able to replace that rent? If that's very high, well, you're probably looking at a high cap rate. It's a riskier asset. Is it below market? Oh, if they ever left, God forbid, right? You raise the rent. It's considered a safer asset. And guarantee the credit. If I have a 10-year lease signed with VCA, the largest vet operator in the country, that's obviously a much safer asset or safer investment than just investing in Rahul Chajad's vet practice with a personal guarantee that's nowhere near the size as VCA or Blue Pearl or any of those operators. So yeah, your question is right. Guarantee does matter. And so generally speaking, the better the credit profile, the larger the guarantor behind the lease, the more valuable your property is. So if I'm the veterinarian and I'm in a great spot, I have this wonderful piece of real estate that people are interested in buying. Who's the buyer of that today? Can you talk a little bit about the profile of who's looking and who is interested in veterinary real estate? Yeah, one way. So, I mean, traditionally, there weren't that many people just investing in vet real estate. There are a few groups out there that are funds, private funds and public funds that are going out there and purchasing vet properties. But really, what we've been able to do is tap into the private markets and tap into what you would call the 1031 exchange market. And so there are thousands of net lease deals trading every year. And most of who's buying these deals are people that are looking to replace what they just sold out of. There's a tax code called a 1031 exchange. And what that allows you to do is you sell a property, an investment property, and the IRS gives you the ability to go ahead and take those proceeds and reinvest it into a like-kind investment. So if I sold an apartment building, I have 45 days after I close it to identify three assets to the IRS that I'd like to replace that property with and another 135 days to close. And so what that allows you to do is defer all of those capital gains taxes that you would have otherwise paid if you had just outright cashed out. So most of these people are trading out of whether it's an industrial property in the Southeast or majority of them are California apartment buyers. They have dealt with management responsibilities their entire life. They're used to seeing a 2 3 4% return on their money. They say, hey, look, there's a med vet deal out there. I'm just throwing out random names. A vet core deal, a VCA deal that's on a triple net lease that doesn't have that many management responsibilities and that's paying a 6 or a 7% return. Well, that makes sense. I'll just go ahead and replace my money into that. I'll just put it on the shelf. They'll keep paying my money. 
I'm happy because I'm invested in a deal that's guaranteed by a large corporation that is passive. And that's also paying me a much better cap rate than what this apartment paid me my entire life. And so the 1031 exchange market, the reason why we've been so successful and why so many owners are happy is because these guys pay very, very aggressive cap rates. They're market buyers. They're not institutional or highly sophisticated investors that have money partners or equity that they need to satisfy or guarantee a certain return of their shareholders. It's just them. They just want to convene an asset. Again, they want to defer their capital gains taxes and just put it on the shelf and make life easier for them. So coming back to everything that a veterinarian can do, if they did maybe just sell their clinic or they're thinking about it, they really have kind of two options, right? They can look to sell or they can, if they're still an owner, I guess they could do the lease back piece. Is there any other options that they have that you've worked with or structured? So typically, we deal on the investment sales side of things. So it's really just helping them structure a sale leaseback. So monetize their asset if they're looking to just stay private or sell the real estate for them after they signed up with a larger operator. But in terms of maybe leasing or anything like that, that's not really what we specialize in. We do have relationships with several developers across the country that would be interested in doing uh, built-to-suit developments for private operators and larger groups as well. So that's another way we've been able to be useful for a lot of these groups is introducing them to people that could help them expand. So I think a natural kind of segue as we think through this is maybe let's walk through some examples or case studies, or I guess any real world situation that would help kind of paint the picture. Because we talk about some of these concepts that maybe it's the first time someone's hearing about this, or they're trying to visualize it in their mind. But let's walk through maybe a good example, if you have one that we kind of go from beginning conversation through the end. Again, there's a lot of gory details we don't need to get into, but the nice big milestones that you go along the way. Almost every single time is just educating these veterinarians on the value of their real estate. I mean, there have been a couple times where we've been able to get veterinarians a million dollars more, a million and a half dollars more than what they thought their building was worth. There have been instances when we've called veterinarians and they've had a couple of offers on the table. And we told them, hey, we cater these to 1031 exchange buyers. We've got a platform in place, Matthews Real Estate. We don't just specialize in net lease vets or net lease medical office properties. The company is multifaceted. We specialize in selling all different types of product all over the country. And the benefit to you is you get to utilize a database that has access to all these different types of buyers right? and 1031 investors across the country. And so what we're able to do is just add a ton of more value because we're marketing these to private buyers and putting many pairs of eyes on these versus just the two or three people that are looking at it off market. And so there have been situations like that on big deals where we've gotten, again, a million dollars more, a million and a half dollars more on the sale. And so the process really is just, just giving them a call, telling them who we are, what we do, and are you interested in just taking a look at what we've got to say? And they're usually pretty receptive just because of hearing the, you know, the work we've done and our familiarity and knowledge about the space. And it's been success. It's been a great experience and been beneficial to a lot of people. Is there certain areas where you all operate more? Does it have to be urban? Can it be in a maybe a tier two city versus like only being like Denver or Chicagoland? Or like have you had experience going outside of kind of those major cities as well? Or how does that look for you all? Good question. We sell properties all over the country in any market. It could be as rural as five thousand people in a one mile radius or as dense as San Diego, California, where we just set a great cap rate record. We don't discriminate, right? It's really just a function of price at the end of the day. As long as you're priced appropriately and you're understanding the fundamentals of the deal, right? Okay, again, how's the location? What's the credit like? How's the rent? As long as you sign the right cap rate to and price it appropriately, there shouldn't be a reason why it won't sell. 
I mean, we've sold properties in A plus of A plus locations. We've also sold properties, you know, in the most tertiary markets imaginable. Again, it's just a function of price at the end of the day. The ability to get, I guess, a lot of eyes on the deal, is it something that's more like an auction process in a competitive situation? How long do those deals usually take? What's the time frame from, let's say, and I know you're going to say every deal is different. I understand that. I know I'm asking like impossible questions because I get these too, but can you give like a time frame from initial say, yeah, we want to do this to kind of what's the closing of that to see beginning to end? Yeah, I get asked this all the time. It's actually, there's a myriad of different situations, right? And it does depend on the owner. I mean, some people are ready to move day of, some people are ready to move within two, three weeks after consulting their financial advisors, their accountants, and speaking to the client references that we provide. And generally speaking, from initial contact, it takes about, let's call it two to three weeks to get the listing agreement signed up. And from the minute we get the listing agreement, we order professional photographs of the facility. And we'll take nice photos of the exterior and then have our creative services team put together a full marketing package on it, an investment summary. And that just pretty much details the location, the lease characteristics, right? Is it triple net? Is it double net? What is the cap rate? What is the price? All that good stuff. That typically takes a couple of weeks. And then we get it on market. We're pretty much live within three weeks, two to three weeks of signing the listing agreement. Typically, it takes us about four to four and a half months to get a deal closed. But that's not to say we haven't closed a deal within the first 30 days or closed a deal month five and got a full price offer. We asked for a six month assignment, really just like you're selling a home. But a good rule of thumb is four to four and a half months from getting a listing agreement signed. We had a VCA deal in Reno that we closed at an incredible price within 30 days. I just had a deal, another VCA deal in San Diego. We just set a record on, I think it was 8.6 million. That closed within the first month. We had a vet court deal in Texas, but we just couldn't find the right buyer that was in the exchange buyer pool. But we kept churning and burning, marketing and putting our best efforts forward and got a full price offer and it closed month five. So there are those special situations of the outliers, but Generally speaking, four to four and a half months is a good rule of thumb. If you could give one piece of advice to a veterinarian think about their real estate that they need to understand today, what would it be? And if it's a repeat of something you already said, that's totally fine. But if they had to take one key thing away from this as an owner that owns a real estate, what would it be? Yeah. The one key thing I would say is really understand the nature of what net lease is. Because so many times I'll speak with veterinarians and they'll say, I've got a 25-year lease. And I'm like, well, if they exercise all their options, you have a 25-year lease. But Really, all you're guaranteed is that five-year primary term or that 10-year primary term that that owner signed. And so I think what ends up happening is they'll speak with a lot of these groups. And obviously, these groups are great. They're doing great work. They're spreading all over the country. And you used to work there. So you have a high level of confidence that, hey, look, I think they're going to stay here for years to come. Well, you know, when I speak with them, it's very blunt, right? Hey, you used to be the operator there, but you're not in control anymore. You don't have a crystal ball. You don't know if they're going to be there for the next 25 years. So understand that right now you are in a great net lease market, right? You're in a great interest rate environment. Your building is pretty much at peak value. I mean, you've got more lease term on the deal today than you probably ever will, especially if they're signed a 10-year lease. Typically, these groups aren't tacking on 10-year options. They're five-year options. So understand the nature of net lease. What makes my deal valuable? Well, interest rates do. The credit of the operator does. The lease term does. So ask yourself, what is the long-term plan here? If I do plan on selling in the next three, four, five years, well, you might as well take a look at doing it now while the market's just more favorable. Because if you do it in three, four, five years, you're obviously burning off lease term, interest rates might rise back up. And so there is a chance you might be leaving money on the table. 
And that's not to mention, I mean, again, a lot of these companies are in high growth. They're rapidly expanding, which is great. A lot of these people are getting great multiples for their practice. But you really don't know what's going to happen in 10 years. Is it going to be a situation where that is the one out of 300 that, or not the one out of 300, but the several out of 300, 400, 500 that they end up having in their umbrella that maybe isn't the best performer at that time, or maybe that they do need to cut the rent on? And so what does that do to the value of the building? Right? So understanding the net lease nature of a building, what causes my building to be valuable, and what is the added benefit of me holding on to the property? Every day you hold on to the property, you're effectively buying it. And so my question is, well, how do you plan on adding more value to the facility? And if there isn't a good enough answer to that, then my question is, okay, well, would there be a motivation of selling? And why would it or wouldn't it make sense? And just guiding them through it. Some people it makes sense for, some people it doesn't make sense for. Obviously, everyone's situation is different. And we respect that. On our job, what we take pride in is just educating the marketplace and just being a good resource and advisor for veterinarians across the country. And doing a good job just making sure that all these people could benefit from the real estate side of things and sell their property at great prices. Are you seeing the tax discussion come into play at all? Hearing you talking about like the environment and all these different positive things, we are in a attractive tax environment today that could change in the future. And so you certainly have that unknown where if I sell today, I know what I pay in taxes versus if I wait five years, who knows? So does that come up in discussions as well? Knowing that you're not a CPA, I get that. We're both aren't, so. (laughs) Actually, it's funny. Before I started in real estate, I was actually on my way to becoming a CPA. And the last minute switched directions and figured I was more of a commercial real estate guy. But yeah, look, it does come up. Obviously, the political landscape is always changing. This one is a bit different just because you have the House, Senate, and the executive branch all in control by the same party, right? And they have their own tax plan that they've kind of introduced to us over the last year and that they plan on implementing. And if it does come into effect, obviously capital gains taxes are going to rise. The repealing of 1031 exchanges is also on the table. I don't know how likely it is that that does go through. Regardless of what party you're on and how you view politics, I think everyone could agree that 1031 exchanges being repealed probably won't be the best for the industry. Just because again, that's the fuel of the market. I mean, 60 to 70% of buyers that are buying deals they're in a 1031 exchange. And that's really what allows these sellers to sell at great prices because there's an inherent motivation behind these buyers buying. So it does come up, actually not as much as you would think. When we're speaking with people, it's more of a discussion about the tenant on the lease, the real estate market in terms of like the net lease market, interest rates. Again, how do you add more value to the building? Those types of, what is your motivation for owning real estate? Is this in line with your motivations? Is it? Well, great. Is it not? Then let's figure out how to put yourself in a position where you can get back in line or aligned with those motivations. So it does come up, but not as often. And I think there are enough people benefiting from the 1031 exchange in government where I don't see it as a high likelihood of it being repealed, but only time will tell, right? (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. There'd be a good amount of tax revenue that could be gathered if that was repealed, but people might also sit on properties a lot longer and not look to interact quite as much. One thing with the podcast, I know I didn't prompt you with this, so we'll see what comes of it. Do you have any questions for me? I typically just ask people if they have anything random. Sometimes I get interesting things that are off the wall, but anything top of mind for you? Yeah, I actually would like to know. So you're speaking with people all over the vet industry and people from like me, CRE professionals, veterinarians. I'm sure you're speaking with business consultants as well, tax advisors, financial advisors. What are your thoughts in terms of how rapidly the space has been expanding? How do you compare the activity that you're seeing today to maybe what you had seen three to five years ago? 
and maybe what are some things that you would recommend I look out for now that you've kind of understood my line of work and what we do? Sure. Good question. I would say being in veterinary medicine, I haven't been around an extremely long time to have like the historical context, but what I've seen just from my experience of working in the dental industry as well. So you kind of saw this similar shift of private practice to a lot of corporate consolidation and then dentals kind of coming back around the other way where it's more back to private ownership. It's a different model, right? Different service of what's going on, but it's similar. You're still the clinician owner operator. You have that ability to do that. And what I've seen is so much outside capital, which is again, similar to dentistry, driving up prices all around, similar to what you talked about from a real estate perspective. I talked about this in one of the recent podcasts that I think it's Oliver Gouday from JB Holdings, which owns NVA and Compassion First, talking about first 10 years of a 50-year kind of super cycle in veterinary medicine. So I did a conversation earlier in the week with Suveto talking about the golden age of veterinary medicine. I believe that not only from a, if I'm a younger veterinarian getting in, it's hard to compete from a price perspective to go buy a clinic when you're competing with people that have really cheap private equity capital behind them. But there are opportunities to look out into the outskirts of major metropolitan areas and start to consolidate those single or one doctor, you know, one or two doctor or one and a half doctor practices into a couple of them, turn around and sell that. And you could be a veterinarian that's younger, consolidate, sell, and be at a really interesting spot. Had a conversation with someone that 38 years old sold to a corporate consolidator for north of 10 million, which is wild. That's not bad at 38 to be able to decide what you want to do. Now, again, they have a holdback period. That's not all paid up in front. You got to take some time with that. But so many people have told me that there's not money in veterinary medicine. I think that's absolutely false. And that's changing very, very quickly. And I try not to promote that too much to all of my uh, advisor friends because I just don't think people understand the opportunity here. And I think veterinarians traditionally undervalue themselves. And they are humble and they don't necessarily say, hey, look at me, look what I've done. And there's some incredible businesses out there. So I think the conversation around the tax piece is going to be interesting. Again, I agree with you probably in the 1031 that doesn't get changed, but understand where you're at today and being able to take some of the chips off the table, whether it is, I still want to be an owner and I haven't sold yet, but doing a sale lease back or something like that makes a ton of sense, which is why I was excited for this conversation just to bring it into the fold. So you don't have to wait until you're 60 to retire in veterinary medicine or change what you're doing. You don't have to do the same thing forever. And there are so many different paths that that people can take into industry. And that's the biggest thing that I've probably learned is you don't have to be the owner operator anymore. And you can have some economic ownership without being the entrepreneurial ownership after you sell into a corporate entity. And you could do a great thing, sell at 38 for a lot of money or not even that much money. It's not about money, but then go be a relief veterinarian or go do other things and chase other passions that you might have. So that to me is the exciting thing when you think about like financial planning and how to talk to people about like what really matters. Because again, money's a tool. So how do you want to use it and go from there? But I think veterinary medicine is set to do some cool things. And I'm excited for some of the younger veterinarians coming out because they have some great ideas, whether it's startups or trying to acquire practices that are under the radar right now. Because I'm with you, the corporate consolidation has continued to grow and it might get to the point where that's not as much of the play in five years. Like we don't know. We don't know what five or 10 years down the road looks like. Exactly. I'm right there with you. I am super long on this space. I think this is just the beginning. I think there's definitely more activity that we're going to see over the next couple of years. And I'm excited to see all the different ways we can help so many of these veterinarians. I mean, again, yeah, veterinarians, they're so humble by nature. And you speak to them, you tell them what we've been able to do and how we've been able to help out. It's always such a great conversation and pretty rewarding, I will say as well. So yeah, I mean, I'm just excited to see what happens. 
So for those that are listening and thinking like, hmm, I'd like to chat or understand, like, is this right for me? Do I fit kind of what you all can do? How yeah. do they connect with you? Where do they find you? What information should they start to think about? Yeah, they can follow me on LinkedIn. My name is spelled Rahul, R-A-H-U-L. And last name is Chajed. That's C-H-H, two H's, A-J-E-D. So just follow me on LinkedIn. I promise I'll be mindful of bombarding your feed. Hopefully it adds value though and kind of lets you know what's going on in the space. And LinkedIn has brought about a, a great amount of opportunities, not just actually in the vet space, but you know, like this, the, a podcast and even just in the general medical office space, because we do a ton of that as well, right? Sell dental real estate, almost just as active in that space, if not just as active, medical office properties. And so, yeah, I would say LinkedIn or just always feel free to call me or shoot me an email and we can set up a call and really just dig through your portfolio, figure out what your value looks like and what maybe the best route is for you in terms of real estate, whether it's a sale leaseback, whether it's selling it to an operator and then selling it. We're happy to provide any and all advice. Rahul, thank you so much for the time. This was great. And yeah, I look forward to uh, following along and chatting again soon. Yeah, we'll have to do this again another time. Thanks, Isaiah. I really appreciate the invite. It was great. Thanks for listening to today's show. The comments made on today's show should not be taken as investment, tax, or legal advice. All comments are for educational purposes only. You should consult your team before implementing anything. Isaiah Douglas is a partner of Vincere Wealth Management. Isaiah is registered in the state of Indiana, California, Texas. The biggest compliment you can give to this podcast is to share it with a friend. Reviews help the show get found, and Apple Podcasts is the platform that predominantly is how people listen to the show. If you have three to five minutes, you like the show, please head over to Apple Podcasts, give us an honest rating and review that'll help more people find the show. For all of today's links and information, head over to veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. There you can subscribe via your favorite podcast platform platform so you won't miss another episode. Finally, if you'd like more information, insights, and have the ability for your voice to be heard and interact with show guests, join the private Facebook group. You can go to the Veterinary Success Podcast on Facebook or head over to the veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. Scroll all the way to the bottom where it says about your host and then click on the Facebook icon. That'll bring you into the Facebook group. I'll approve you. You'll be in. And then I'd love to hear your questions, feedback, and anything that you'd like to see added to the show. So with all that, thank you so much for listening. I'll be talking again to you soon.